Hey, Springs Community Church, I am so excited to be back with you guys. If you would, grab your Bibles and turn with me to 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to finish out reading chapter 4 today. We are going to finish out our 2 Timothy series. Grab your Bible. We're going to start in verse 9. We're going to work our way all the way to verse 22. Paul, writing a letter to Timothy, he starts there in verse 9. He says this to Timothy. Timothy, do your best to come to me soon. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I have sent to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left at Carpus at Trous. Also the books and above all the parchments. Alexander the coppersmith, he did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet Prisca and Aquila in the household of Onesphorus. Erastus remained at Corinth, and I left Trophimus, who was ill at Miletus. Do your best to come before winter. Eubulus sends greetings to you, as do Pudens and Linus and Claudia and all the brothers. The Lord be with your spirit. Grace be with you. Pray with me. Father, I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for just this beautiful letter that you have divinely authored, inspired, and preserved for us to come and learn from. As Paul, he writes to Timothy as he's instructing him, and here now that we see at the latter stages of his life, this beautiful example of what it looks like to stand in faithfulness to you. Lord, would you help me to live that way? Would you help followers of you who are watching this, who are tuning in, who are listening to this, to grow in a love of you, and then from that they'd live for you? God, would you do what only you can, and that's change eternities? We need your help to do that. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, guys, I'm so excited to be with you. I'm going to start with an idea, though. I'm a huge fan of the Star Wars movie series. Now, I know not all of them are amazing. I get that. We could argue over that. But in general, I'm a huge fan of Star Wars. Not like diehard Comic-Con fan, but I'm a big fan of Star Wars. But there is one theme in that whole series that's always bothered me, right? So if you haven't seen it, one, you're welcome to reach out. We have a prayer ministry. We will pray for you, right? But if you haven't seen it, spoiler alert, sort of. So here's the thing that's always bothered me, right? I'm going to summarize it and I'll give you some examples. The thing that has bothered me is these amazing heroes, these leaders of the force, the leaders of light, they retire way too early. Let me give you some examples. Yoda has a fight after that, goes and retires, takes himself out of the fight, checks out, throws in the towel, and goes all the way to a planet by himself called Dagobah, 
All right, that's Yoda. That's one Jedi master. Next comes Obi-Wan. He has this breakdown, this brawl. It's this real thing. I'll leave some of that details. He, at the end of that fight, he checks out, and he goes all the way to this planet called Tatooine, takes himself out of the fight, out of the fray. These are the leaders of the Force. These are the ones that are meant to combat the darkness, the evil, the empire that is spreading across the galaxy, the ones who can fight that back. They, like, retire. And then you come to Luke. Right, Luke, he does the same thing. I don't know what planet he goes to, but it has these creepy floating rocks. But I almost don't really even blame Luke. Why? Because he had to go find Yoda. He had to go find Obi-Wan. He basically learned from them. The irony in all of this is these Jedi masters, these heroes, arguably the only, and I'm going to put it in quotes, Jedi that stayed in the fight, that didn't retire, that didn't check out, that didn't throw in the towel, was Darth Vader. I've never understood it. And guys, it pains me. I love Star Wars. I want to use Star Wars as this amazing example. But right here in this part, I just, I just can't. Because there's this theme to it. There's this theme where these leaders, these ones with the force, combating darkness, going against the evil empire in its expanse across the galaxy, these leaders should be the ones stepping out and combating that. They should be standing for righteousness, standing for justice, standing for what is good, standing with the force. But instead, it's not, they don't stand. It's, it's like they just sit down. They, they don't even sit down. They take themselves out of the fight. They retire. They go to their own little planet and they check out. I've never understood it. So, so enough of my like little uh, Star Wars soapbox. I've never really gotten it. Here's the thing that matters so much. Here's the thing that matters. The Apostle Paul is not like those Jedi masters. All right, now that's an obvious statement, right? The metaphor, it, it real quickly breaks down. But here's what's true. We're going to read this passage. It's that section we just worked through where the Apostle Paul this amazing leader, this one who had the truth, he combated darkness, he went and he pushed back an evil empire that was encroaching in the souls and the people and the cities who fought darkness with light. He had been shipwrecked, beaten, imprisoned, stoned, left for dead. He'd lived a brutal and hard life. You would think he would have this sense of, man, maybe it's time I retire Maybe it's time I, I stop standing up, but I sit down, I check out, I throw in the towel, I lean back. Now, he couldn't go to another planet, but, you know, he could probably get to an island, he could get out of there. But what do we see from him? We see the complete opposite. We see this man who did not sit down. We see this man who did not go quietly. We see this man who did not just step out of the fray, but he continued to stand until he could literally stand no longer. He continued to push back the darkness with light until there was no more breath in his lungs. He never stopped standing. And, and here's the obvious thing. Jedi's make-believe. This eternal truth. He stood for what was true till the very end. I can't wait to break that down through this passage. We're going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to finish this chapter 
as we again see, and we're really going to see it just modeled through the life, through the narrative of the Apostle Paul. We're going to see how he never stops standing. And so church, if you're listening to this, if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, the truth, this mission, this call in your life and in mine, it's this beautiful invitation to never stop standing. Let me define what I mean by standing. A word that you could put in there and replace that with would be abiding. What I mean by to abide, I mean to remain positionally as well as in practice pursuing the things of Jesus Christ, drawing near to God that he might draw near to you, disciplining yourself for the purpose of godliness, getting to know God, sitting in the love of God, remaining yielded to his Holy Spirit, loving and living for Jesus. That is what I mean by standing. And the Apostle Paul stood until he could literally stand no more. If you're listening to this and you're a believer, this is what God wants for you. This is the journey of your lifetime. This is the adventure that's better than the empire and the galaxy. This is the hope of eternity. It changes everything. And Paul, knowing that, he gave all he had to it for as long as he could. We're again going to be in 2 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to look at verses 9 through 21 as we see how followers of Christ are called to never stop standing. We're going to see that this is going to happen in three ways, that we are called to stand until the very end. We are called to stand even when we feel alone. And we are called to stand knowing that in Christ we are never alone. So while you start turning there in your Bibles, I just want to frame this passage up. This is the last letter that the Apostle Paul wrote that we have preserved by the power of the Holy Spirit in Scripture. This is the last letter. These are the final words of the man that wrote more than any other author inspired by the Holy Spirit of your New Testament. These are the final words of the final letter of the greatest missionary next to Jesus Christ that ever walked the face of the planet. We get this glimpse into it where he's going to come and he's going to coordinate these other missionaries. He's going to talk about people that have grieved him and hurt him. And he's going to give these final greetings as this beautiful example of all the people that help advance the mission. But in that, in the model of his life, what you see here is this truth that until his last breath, he never stopped standing. He always leaned in. He always ran towards Christ. With every breath, he sought using his words to live for Christ. Till the final moment. That's the context. So grab your Bible. We're going to read chapter 4. The first thing we're going to look at is verses 9 through 13, as we see, just modeled in the life of the Apostle Paul, this call for believers, the church of God, to never stop standing. Starting again in verse 9, he says to Timothy, hey, Timothy, do your best to come to me. For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia. Titus to Dalmatia. Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. Tychius I sent to Ephesus. When you have come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Trous, also the books, and above all the parchments. The first theme is we see in this passage that you and I are called to never stop standing, that we, we're just seeing exemplified through the life of the Apostle Paul. 
this first theme that we really see in this section is that we are called to stand until the very end. Stand until the very end. See, here's what's true. Paul, he knows that his execution, the loss of his life, he knows that it is imminent. Yet while he is in prison underneath, likely, Emperor Nero's palace, while he is in prison awaiting his death, What is he doing? Is he sitting back? Is he checking out? Is he sitting down? No, 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 no. He is absolutely getting after it. He's coordinating and sending missionaries. He's asking for resources so he continue getting to know God and advancing the gospel. I love this. Have you ever seen in movies or anything like that or maybe read a book or saw something like that or maybe you knew somebody? That'd be exciting. But like of a mobster, right, who is in prison and yet from prison still somehow like coordinating an illegal organization, to my knowledge, this is the first time we have in documented history someone from inside prison coordinating an illegal organization. Now, this one was not morally reprehensible, mafia, mob. This one was morally righteous. It was eternal truth. But you see, Paul, I like to think of him right here like the godfather, right? Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, cheesy joke. I know. I, I like it, though. Right? I like to think about Paul. He's sitting here, and he's coordinating this. But from prison, he's not checked out. He's not sitting down. He's standing. He's getting after it. He, he's coordinating these missionaries. He says, hey, Timothy, I need you to come see me. He says this twice, and he says, come soon. Why is he telling Timothy to come soon? Because he knows he's going to die soon. He references how he has sent Crescens right? He sends Christians to Galatia. That was a church he'd helped plant there, there in Galatia. He sent him to help oversee. He sent Titus to Dalmatia. That, that's modern-day Serbia, out there to unreached groups. How do we continue to advance the gospel? He's coordinating these missionaries. He says, hey, Luke, Luke is still here with me. Luke, the writer of the book of Luke, the book of Acts, this faithful physician who's been with Paul for years, Luke is with him. He says, hey, bring Mark. Bring Mark. Bring, bring another encouraging, faithful saint. Now, for those of you who know your Bible well, back in Acts 15, Paul and Mark, they got sideways with one another. But you see this beautiful moment where there's this restored relationship, and Paul's saying, no, no, no. Hey, bring Mark. On your way, bring Mark. Finally, he references, is Paul from prison coordinating the advancement of the gospel, the the, the coordination of these missionaries, taking the truth to people who need it, advancing light into darkness? He talks about Tychius. He says, hey, I'm going to send Tychius to Ephesus. Why why does he say that? Timothy, who he's writing this letter to, is currently in Ephesus. And he's saying, hey, Timothy, come to me. So what is Paul doing? He's likely sending Tychius with the letter itself. But then he's saying, hey, Timothy, as you come, let's leave Tychius. Why? Leave a shepherd to care for God's people. Do you see he's in prison? He's caring for folks. He's looking after them. He's not wasting a minute of this. And then even finally, you get this beautiful peek into into the humanity of Paul. The next thing he says is, man, can I even get some help getting my stuff? Like he writes to him and says, hey, will you come and will you pick up my cloak? Now, I love this. This was likely a cloak that maybe Paul really cared about, he really liked, or he'd invested in. Who knows? Paul was likely king of minimalism, by the way. But he had this cloak. But what was true? Winter was coming. We know that from the text. Paul's asking for a jacket so he can ward off the cold. What does he ask for after that? Hey, bring my book. What likely are these books? 
very likely Old Testament scriptures. The truth of God's word, the beauty of how God in heaven had come to redeem and ransom humanity, how there'd been a long-awaited Messiah and Savior. He had come and his name was Jesus. He changed Paul's life. And Paul says, I'm going to die. I want to be surrounded by reminding myself the truth of God's word, how he loves me, how I am to live, and the parchment. It's this idea that Paul, man, he's still writing. He still didn't want to stop. Even though he couldn't run around and tell people, he could pen the letter and hand it to Luke. He could hand it to Timothy and get it out. It's this beautiful moment where you see Paul standing until the very end. When many would have sat back, when many would have sat down, Paul stood till the end. I think it's so interesting because it so contrasts with our general way of life. Like even as Americans, our, our unbiblical view of retirement is, hey, let me work until I can no longer work and then I'm just going to check out. I'm going to do what I want. I'm going to think about me. I'm going to work on my golf game. I'm going to work on my tan. I'm going to do whatever I can. I'm going to travel. And right here you see Paul. If anyone would have had this excuse to almost lean out, to sit down after everything he'd been through, he still gets after it. Never stop standing. It's, it's this call just in the, the model of his life to you and to me to not waste hours. I can remember right after I became a follower of Christ, someone recommended a book for me. The book title, it's called Don't Waste Your Life. It's written by Pastor John Piper. I imagine many of you watching this have perhaps heard of the book or, or heard of him. I'd never heard of it at the time. I start jumping into this book and seeing how I've just come to know the beauty of the Savior of Christ. And John Piper is challenging this worldview in me, this sense of, wait, no, no, I do well, so then I can chill out and check out. And he's saying, no, 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 you are here until your last breath to go all in on the glory of God and the things and the beauties of Christ. Don't waste your life. There's this famous sermon that it led to. I want to read a section from it because it impacted me so much. This famous sermon that he's giving, he's speaking before 40,000 young adults. It's the year 2000. He's speaking before them, and he's going to give two contrasting examples of how people can spend their life. The first one, he's going to talk about some members of his church. He was pastor of a church at that time in Minneapolis. And then he's going to give reference to an article he found in Reader's Digest. Stay with me. It's a little bit of reading, but it's really engaging. He starts it out as he's giving this talk, he says, you don't have to know a lot of things for your life to make a lasting difference in the world. You don't have to be smart or good-looking or from a good family. You just have to know a few basic, glorious, majestic, obvious, unchanging, eternal things and be gripped by them and be willing to lay down your life for them to say it differently, to never stop standing for them, in them, with them. Five minutes go on, and then he laid out a comparison pastor there, he's giving the talk, he makes a reference, he says, hey, three weeks ago, we got news at our church that Ruby Elizon and Laura Edwards were killed in Cameroon. Ruby Elizon, a member of that church body, she was over 80 years old. She'd been single her entire life. She was a nurse. She poured her life out for one thing, to make Jesus Christ known among the sick and the poor in the hardest and most unreached places. Laura Edwards, the, the other woman that had lost her life, Laura Edwards was a medical doctor in the Twin Cities. In her retirement, she partnered with Ruby. 
Laura was also pushing 80 years old. They were going from village to village in Cameroon. One day they were driving on a road in their car. The brakes gave way. Over a cliff they went and they were dead instantly. The pastor makes reference of the moment when he came back and he's talking to his congregation. He said to them, is their death a tragedy? He asked this question. He says, two women in their 80s, almost, a whole life dedicated to one idea. Jesus Christ magnified among the poor and the sick in the hardest places. And after 20 years of most of their American contemporaries had begun to throw their lives away on trivialities in Florida and New Mexico, these two female saints fly into eternity with death in a moment. He asked them again, is this a tragedy. He's there speaking to 40,000 now. He brings them back to the moment and he calls this out and he says, let me share with you what's a tragedy. He pulls out an article he describes from Reader's Digest. The article describes a couple, Bob and Penny, who'd recently retired and it's highlighting them as a retirement couple. It says of Bob and Penny, Bob and Penny, Bob took an, er, they both took early retirement from their jobs in the Northeast five years ago. Bob was 59 and Penny was 51. They now live in Punta Gorda, Florida, where they cruise on their 30-foot trawler, they play softball, and they collect seashells. He turns to the crowd and he says to them, this is the tragedy. Church, here's the reason why I share that. Is there anything wrong with retiring? No. Is there anything wrong with moving to Florida? No. Is there anything wrong with owning a boat, liking seashells, and playing softball? No. Is there something wrong if a follower of Jesus Christ ever sits down, ever checks out, ever throws in the towel, and removes themselves from the fray? of running towards, standing in the beauty and the majesty of Jesus Christ. Yes! Don't waste your life! Paul didn't, with his last breath, from a prison cell beneath a palace where his death awaits imminently. What is he doing? He's standing. He's depending on Christ. He's advancing the gospel. He's disciplining himself for the purpose of Godness. He's wanting to surround himself with the beauty and the things of God's word. For how long? Until the very end. Stand until the very end. I, I want to look now at verse 10. And then from verse 10, though, we're going to jump straight down to verse 14 and read through 16. I know that's a little confusing. You guys are super smart. You're going to be able to track with me. So jump back up and read with me verse 10, and then we're going to jump down 14 through 16. Paul again, he says, For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. I'm going to jump down now to verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware of him yourself, for he strongly opposed our message. At my first offense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. The second theme is we look at this section just through the example, through the narrative of the Apostle Paul's life, is we see that even in this moment, we are called to never stop standing, never stop abiding, never stop running, never stop preaching, never stop sharing. We see this other theme. When do we stand? We stand 
even when we feel alone. Stand even if you feel alone. See, right here, Paul, he's writing to Timothy, and he's showing how he, he felt alone by these people. This happened from those who were once both with him as well as those who opposed him. The first one here, verse 10, you see Damas. It's this idea, church, that you may be abandoned in the faith by the ones you loved most. Verse 10, I'll read this again. For Damas, in love with this present world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. This word deserted, it means forsaken. It means utterly abandoned. See, what I didn't know until studying this is Damas, he's referenced repeatedly in the New Testament. He actually gets three shout-outs. He's referenced two times in Colossians at the end as well as Philemon. And then he's referenced here. But you see this major difference, right? The major difference then was back, back then, Damas, he's referenced as being a part of Paul's almost spiritual posse. The disciples that he was running with to advance the gospel, helping him fulfill the ministry laid out for him. Damas was with him. Colossians and Philemon, they've been written approximately about five years before 2 Timothy. So five years have gone by. Likely they had done ministry together, helping one another. We don't know for sure, but five years go by, and here's what's happened. Damas, one who, wants to, who used to run with Paul, and as we saw last week, likely proclaimed a love and a longing for the appearing of the Lord, has now switched in that love. And with heartbreaking reality, Paul's writing, he loves not the Lord's appearing, but the world. So what, what does it mean to love the world? That language can mean a lot of things. Most simply, here's what it means. In that moment, he loved comfort. He wanted to sit down. He wanted to check out. He wanted it easy. He wanted to coast. If not, the worst, just walking away from the faith. And right here, you see in Paul the sense of this one who was with him, who helped him, who comforted him, has deserted him. On this path of standing, there are times where you will feel alone. And you may be left alone by the ones who you once walked with. The second one we see there, it's in verse 14. Alexander the coppersmith. Your Bible, it may say Alexander the steel worker. He comes and Paul says, he hurt me greatly. He opposed our message. I love that because it speaks to not only the opposition of the truth that Paul was proclaiming, the, the message of Christ was what Alexander opposed, but as he did it, he hurt Paul. Now, Alexander, there's two Alexanders in your Bible, right? One in 1 Timothy and another one in Acts that actually hurt Paul. They, they at least hurt him emotionally. They perhaps, especially in Acts, tried to hurt him physically. Who is this Alexander? Alexander was an extremely common name in a Gentile world in the first century. The reason this one's specified as Alexander the coppersmith, scholars don't necessarily attribute to either 1 Timothy or to the book of Acts. Here's why all that matters. Right here you see that there was someone who physically like, excuse me, had likely physically hurt Paul if not emotionally, as he opposed the message. Yet what do you see Paul's heart? You see this uh, beautiful heart in Paul. He says the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And then he warns Timothy about him. Right here what Paul's doing, he's quoting from Psalm 62. It's verse 12. Right here what Paul's saying, he's saying, hey, even though I felt alone, even though they opposed, even as I was standing, they tried to silence 
Paul doesn't want revenge. Paul isn't coming for this sense of vengeance. He's saying, I'm going to entrust him to the care of God. Paul feels alone. Paul knows an opposition. What's the third way that we see this coming through here? Verse, verse 16, at my first defense, no one came to stand by me, but all deserted me. May it not be charged against them. It's this reminder that while the first one with Damas, you see, you may be abandoned by the ones who walked with you. And the second one you see with Alexander the coppersmith, right? You may feel alone from the people who oppose the message. The third one is there's just going to come times where you likely just feel alone in the faith. What Paul's referencing here is he says, at my first, uh, at my first defense, Paul's literally speaking here to the Roman trial system. So remember, he's in prison. He's going to face two trials. First one, that's what he's referencing. And then he's awaiting a second. The first one, it'd be much like a modern-day arraignment. But picture this. Paul goes before a court, and it's in this moment where advocates, witness, character witnesses on behalf of Paul can give testimony to him. This testimony could literally spare his physical life. And what happened is Paul goes before, what character witnesses show up, what advocates come to speak on his behalf? No one. And what does Paul describe it as? Deserted forsaken, utterly abandoned. This message that he'd given his life to, that he preached to the world, the advocates who he'd likely preached it to didn't come. Now there's this beautiful moment right there where right after that he speaks of them and he says, may it not be charged against them. Don't hold it against their account is this language. I think there's a few reasons for that. One is Paul knew that there had been times in his life where he had done tremendous things, and by grace from Jesus Christ and grace alone, it was not held to his account. But what was also true is Paul knew that if these followers came to his trial, if they came and they gave witness, they too would likely die. See, if Paul is standing there and he's likely shackled in chains, waiting for the witnesses to walk in, that sense of feeling alone, what he, he's almost fighting to know, scholars talk about, is this sense of they would be shackled too. Then their death might be imminent. Guys, it's this reality that as Paul, he's given his life to this message, as he has preached the gospel, God, knowing his situation, knowing his life, there's moments where Paul, from other people, we're going to talk about how he felt with God, but from other people, deserted was the word. There's this sense of feeling alone. As you journey in this life, we talked about it last week, what is this described as? You are pouring yourself out as a drink offering. You are a living sacrifice. What are you and I, what are we called to do? We fight the good fight. We run the race. We keep the faith. We long for the Lord's appearing. Is that always easy? No. Living well does not always mean living easy, but it does mean living better, and Paul knew that. The second thing that you really see here that Paul understood was, was this um, heartbreaking message that many of us, we know this experientially. Your Bible points this out repeatedly through it. But not all of the people that you and I begin the journey of faith with are the ones we will end it with. You see this exemplified in Damas, where the one who was with Paul for years now all of a sudden no longer loves the Lord's appearing, but loves the world. You likely know 
friends who you trusted Christ alongside, who walked with faith, but then things started to change. There started to be a fade. And now when you see them, they're just wrestling with faith itself. You, you perhaps have the youth pastor that impacted your life, changed everything, and then as you're rocketing into your faith, you're growing, you find out years later they're no longer even in ministry and have walked away from it entirely. We have those stories. We have those people. Now, here's what your Bible says. Perhaps maybe in that moment, for a season, they've gone and they've fallen in love with the world. They've hardened their hearts and repentance is needed. Or perhaps they were never of the faith. Only God knows. But there's this truth, Christian. As you stand, and you stand until the end, you have to know that you will stand even when you feel alone. Sometimes that loneliness will come from people who've abandoned. Sometimes that loneliness will come from people who opposed. And sometimes that loneliness will come while you stand in a sense of a trial and no one is there to advocate on your behalf besides God. But what do you do? This message, this truth, you stand. I stand. This is what we give our lives to. Let's look at verses uh, 17 and 18. Turn with me to verses 17 and 18. Paul says, now referencing this moment where he's in this trial, you got to remember, that's the context. He says, but, but the Lord stood by me and strengthened me so that through me the message that might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. So I was rescued from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. The third thing that we see is Paul, his life, it's modeling this theme, never stop standing. As you give it until your last breath, as you give it even when you feel alone, the final thing that you and I, Christian, what we must know, church, is in Christ, we are never alone. There's this beautiful promise all throughout the scriptures. You see it repeatedly. Uh, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Matthew, John, Hebrews. You see this theme of God calling to his people, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. While Paul sat there and he felt alone, what did he know that was true? Because of God, he's never alone. God stood with him. It, it's this beautiful theme that as you stand in Christ, you never stand alone, Christian. As you and I stand in Christ, we never stand alone. This is true both by faith as well as faithfulness. Those moments when you step out, God is your helper. He's with you. You see that theme here. He starts out by, by this idea of like, when Paul didn't have anyone standing with him, he knew God was with him. He says, the Lord stood by me and strengthened me. The language here of stood by, it literally speaks to, I felt the presence. The presence of God brought strength and life to Paul. Why did God stand with him? God stands with us because he always stands in support of his mission. Why did God stand with him? So that through the message, or excuse me, so that through me, the message might be fully proclaimed and all the Gentiles might hear it. God stood with Paul because through Paul, God was standing in representation of the message of Jesus Christ. 
This speaks both to the direction of Paul's life as well as likely to this instance where Paul is literally standing in this Roman tribunal, this this trial where he's there and he would have been before this cosmopolitan group of Roman elected leaderships and appointed officials. And he stands there and it's speaking as he preaches to the Gentiles, fulfilling this lifelong mission. What did Paul likely do through this text? He likely stood there in a moment when he could have renounced faith, walked away from it, and everyone have said, okay, he keeps his life. The great preacher Paul, the great writer Paul has recanted. He gets to keep his life. And what does he do instead? He does not sit down. He does not go into the fray. He does not lean out. He does not check out. He very much likely, by this, as he comes and he preaches to the Gentiles, he stood there and he took that chance to tell those Roman officials, those Roman pagan leaders, non-God-believing leaders, he came and he told them, your pantheons are false. Your gods are not real. There's a God in heaven who loves you, but you're a sinner. You have offended him in your sin. But instead of dealing with you for all an eternity for it, he sent his son to die for you. His name's Jesus Christ. You've heard of him, Jesus of Nazareth. He lived a perfect life. He was God, a very God, yet man in and of the flesh, and he died on a cross. When he died, he paid the penalty for all of my sins, and I have sinned. He paid the penalty for yours, but he rose from the grave. I I didn't believe it at first. I persecuted people of the way. I sought to kill them. They ran from me, but then he came, and he changed my life. Scales fell. It's all true. He sent me here to tell you to believe. I fully believe Paul stood in that Roman trial as he preached and he told them, knowing that while he did not have a character witness, while he did not have an advocate, he had an advocate in God. God stood with him and God sent him. How is he able to do this? Because Paul knew God is his ultimate deliverer. It's this beautiful theme Right there in verse 18, the Lord will rescue me, or excuse me, even before that, right? Rescued me from the lion's mouth. The Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. To him be the glory forever and ever, amen. This verse, was it still true the moment when Paul went to his second trial and that was likely where he found out he was guilty and his execution was imminent, scheduled? Was this moment true Was this, excuse me, was this verse still true as Paul perhaps counted down the days until his martyr's death? Absolutely. Even in death, God delivers his people. He brings them into a home. So what do you see in Paul? You see how we stand Paul had not placed his significance in the other people and whether they were there. He didn't place his like spiritual uh, courage and whether or not people would come. He placed it in the reality that God himself had changed his life. And what was he existing for? I'm here to tell the world. It's beautiful. The only person, church, you need to know this. The only person, ultimately, truly, sincerely, that will never leave you nor forsake you is God. Because of what Christ has done, it is Him. People, even the most loving, God-fearing, they will let you down, they will abandon you, they will hurt you, they will wound you. The one who will not leave you in the dead of night, it is Him. He is your friend, He is your counselor, He is your helper. 
and it's with him that you stand. Because when you stand, you must know you never stand alone. Paul goes on after this and he outlines, and I'm going to let you guys look at this later on in your own time. He greets and he loves. He gives this final prayer and this blessing and we see the final letters, the final words that the Holy Spirit kept and preserved. It's a beautiful section that really shows how, how so many people are involved in the advancement of the kingdom, not just Paul. But here's what you got to see through this. You and I, Paul lived it. He breathed it because of the Holy Spirit within him. He died with it. We, church, never stop standing. What is standing? It is abiding in Christ. It is running towards the things of Jesus. It is loving. It is serving. It is giving. It is dying to self. It is sacrificing for the needs of others. It is going all in. It is never sitting back, checking out, throwing in the towel, retiring simply to collect seashells. It is being on mission with every breath in your lungs till the breath is gone. I don't want to waste my life. Church, I don't want you to waste your life. I've loved journeying through 2 Timothy. It's this beautiful letter where Paul, he's writing this church leader, and we pick this up because we want to inspire, remind, strengthen, and equip this body to know if you are a follower of Christ, you are a church leader. Whether you embrace it or not, and I'm calling you to embrace it, you are meant to love, you are meant to lead, you are meant to disciple, you are meant to instruct in the righteous way of God's word breathed out on a page, and you are meant to stand in it until the very end. You are meant to stand in it even when you feel alone, and you are meant to stand in it knowing because of Christ, his death on a cross, you, me, because we believe, and we believe alone. We are never alone. So what do we do, church? Springs, believer in Christ, what do we do? Stand up! Life is way too short. Stand up! What do I want for me? I want to stand up. It's not a pep talk. It's a reality that God in heaven died for my sins. He died for yours. Paul lived his life. He gave it. Timothy would go, live his life, and he would give it. He was stoned in the streets for preaching the gospel. Luke, the one he wrote about here, he would be hung for his faith in Christ. Mark, the one he wrote about here, he would be dragged through the streets for his faith in Christ. I am not calling you to stand by dying some persecuted martyr's death but church, we will live faithfully. Why? He gave us the faith in the first place. It's the greatest gift. It's the greatest love. I'm not going to waste my life. Stand with me. Let me pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I just thank you for the truth, how it comes and it changes, convicts, conforms. Would you help me? Would you help us to stand in you? to be fixed, to abide, to love you. Make us into the people you would have us be. Conform us into your image. It is in your name that we pray. Amen. Hey, thank you all so much for joining. Thank you for walking with us through the book of 2 Timothy. I can't wait to see you guys next week. Y'all go. Have a great week of worship.